The Poisons, Episode 1, The Marquise de Bonvillier. The one who nearly got away with it. Well, it's all over and done with. Bonvillier is in the air, writes Madame de Sévigny in a letter to Madame de Grignon on 17th July 1676, the date of the execution of the Marquise de Bonvillier, a date that is generally seen as the beginning of investigations into what has become known as the Affair of the Poisons. But let us return from the end back to the beginning. Marie-Madeleine d'Aubray was born on 22nd July 1630 into a wealthy family. She was the eldest of five siblings. Her father, Antoine de Dreux d'Aubray, was a man of great importance. Some of his positions include Council of State and Civil Lieutenant at the Châtelet in Paris. He had close connections to the judiciary and was in charge of the police in the capital at the time of the infamous Fronde uprising against King Louis XIV. Highly intelligent, Marie-Madeleine would have received an excellent education, which is evident in her extensive general knowledge, her quick thinking, and, as was noted, in the accuracy of spelling and syntax in her letters. However, it is rumoured that, as a child, she was sexually abused and also had intimate relations with her brothers. This might have played a role later in her life in wishing them dead, although some chroniclers described her as the seductress, the instigator. Perhaps as an adult, but as a child, I would have had my doubts. I leave it to you to decide what you make of the accusations. Of course, Marie-Madeleine was expected to marry well. She brought a considerable dowry at 200,000 livres with her. So in 1651, aged 21, she was married off to Antoine Cobelin, a baron and knight in the order of the Knights Hospital, campmaster with a regiment d'Auvergne and Marquis de Brambilliers. It was an arranged marriage, as was the norm. Three legitimate children sprung from their union, although in the end she had seven children in total. The other four were illegitimate. Antoine was said to have been a gambler and soon their finances dwindled. As Marie-Madeleine loved spending money too, she was in a quandary. When her husband introduced her to Godin de Saint-Croix, a fellow officer, little did he know the events that were going to unfold. When Antoine, the husband, had to flee the country, pursued by creditors, Saint-Croix was happy to fill the void in the marital bed. But before we hear more about the infamous Marquise, let's take a look at Saint-Croix, a key player in her killing game. Jean-Baptiste Godin de Saint-Croix was captain of the cavalry. He was said to have been handsome, flamboyant even, and had a keen interest in alchemy. He and the Marquise must have been a good-looking couple. 
It's not surprising that, in her husband's absence, their affair took off for all of Paris to see. Together they attended theatre plays and musical soirees. It was scandalous. But in the end, it was her father, not her husband, who tried to put a stop to her actions he deemed embarrassing to his family's reputation. In 1663, he obtained a so-called lettre de cachet, a royal warrant, literally a sealed letter, and had Saint-Croix arrested and thrown in jail on grounds of the man's unbecoming public behaviour with his daughter. Ironically, this move proved to be fatal for Antoine de Dreux d'Aubray, father of the Marquise de Brambier, because during his incarcerations, Saint-Croix met an Italian alchemist called Exili, who shared much of his knowledge with a keen cavalier. This included the effects of poisons and chemicals on the human body. Exili had travelled to France from the Swedish court and his reputation as a poisoner had preceded him. So the king had him locked up just in case. This twist of fate provided Santa Croix with new ideas. Following his release, a mere six weeks later, Santa Croix revealed his newfound knowledge to the Marquise and a sinister plan began to take shape. By that time, Marie-Madeleine was in desperate need of money. Her husband's debtors knocked on her door and she still loved spending beyond her means. Hating her father for his actions against her lover, she began to plot his demise with the help of Santa Croix and his newfound knowledge. Through an associate of his called Christophe Glaser, a master chemist, she obtained chemical substances which, in combination, were deadly. To test the effect of the poison, the lieutenant general who investigated her case, Larigny, later noted that she had tried the concoction on several unsuspecting patients at the Hôtel Dieu, a Paris hospital, in her guise as a lady of good standing visiting the poor. There is some speculation about whether this is in fact true or whether he exaggerated to fit his narrative. But it could easily have happened, as no one would have suspected foul play on men and women who were already seriously ill. Next, she placed a servant in her father's household who began the slow process of poisoning him. The Marquise herself was at his house in the final stages of his life, ostensibly to care for him but secretly administering the lethal doses herself. She was with her father when he died, the epitome of the mourning daughter. An autopsy found no foul play and his death was attributed to natural causes. Marie-Madeleine had succeeded and she enjoyed her share of the inheritance. But it wasn't enough for her as she soon needed more money. But how could she get her hands on it? Greed made her determined. She'd done it once, and she could do it again. As her pesky brothers were still alive and well, living too comfortably for her liking, a new plan was hatched. The first step was to place an associate of hers called Jean Amelin, known as La Chaussée, as a footman into their household. As she was estranged from them, her presence would have raised suspicion. But as it turned out, the younger brother was soon impressed with La Chaussée and his good service. The irony. As the poisoning progressed, the elder of the brothers, also named Antoine, it was a popular name in those days, suspected poison when his food began to taste metallic. 
but for some reason he did not investigate the cause. So he eventually died in June 1670. Three months later, Marie-Madeleine's second brother also passed away. And although their autopsies revealed discolouring of their intestines, and poisoning was suspected, nothing further would come of it. There was no proof of wrongdoing. It seemed the scheming Marquise de Pranvier had got away with murder. Next, she was planning to poison her husband, but she didn't go through with it. In 1672, Santa Croix, her lover, died suddenly, ironically, of natural causes. As he was in debt, his personal belongings were taken away. They contained a sealed box, which the Marquise tried to claim through La Chaussée as hers, but she was denied it. Her insistence raised suspicions, and when the box was opened, it contained letters between her and Santa Croix, several poisons, and a note about money she paid him at the time of her father's death. At the same time, La Chaussée fled, but he was soon arrested and tortured. Eventually, he revealed the mastermind behind the deaths of the three Messieurs d'Aubray. This was enough for an arrest warrant for Marie-Madeleine, but being pre-warned, she had already fled to England, just in time. La Renie, the head of the Paris police, sent spies to track her down, including a very persistent man called Degré but she evaded him time and again. On 24th March 1673, she was condemned to death in absentia and her effigy was burnt. That same day, La Chaussée was also tried and executed for murder by poisoning. Meanwhile, Marie-Madeleine fled from one town to another, but she was soon running out of funds and places to hide. But it was only three tumultuous years later, on 26th March 1676, that the Marquise was successfully arrested in a convent near Liège by Degré, who brought her to Paris, where she was imprisoned in the Conciergerie for questioning. Even though she admitted to poisoning her father and brothers, she had written a confession, she was put to the water torture, a popular way of extricating additional information. What else did she know? Had she been responsible for other murders? And who were her accomplices? Anyway, what was the water torture? The Marquise would lie backwards over a rack, all four stretched out, with her head at a lower level than her body. Then several pints of water were poured through a funnel into her mouth, causing excruciating pain in her innards. She was a slim, delicate woman, and we can only imagine the effect it had on her body. According to Madame de Sévigné, the ardent letter writer, Marie-Madeleine was said to have claimed on spotting three pails of water beside the rack. That must surely be to drown me, for given my size they can't possibly suppose I can drink all that. They did nearly drown her, but she would not reveal any more. Her trial was held on 16th July 1676 and the pronunciation of the verdict was read the following day. Marie-Madeleine d'Aubray, Marquise de Branvier, would die. The poisoner was to be punished. 
but whilst on the run, she had turned to religion. She was often seen at prayer, which she continued during her brief incarceration. Soon, rumours spread across Paris of her redemption, and people began to see her less as a murderer, but more as a saint, a figure much maligned by the authorities. Her sense may be linked to a sense of anti-authority so prevalent in Paris throughout history. Finally, on 17th July 1676, large crowds gathered on Place de Grey for her execution. Barefoot, wearing the white shift of those condemned to death, she is taken from the Conciergerie to Place de Grève via Notre Dame. In front of the cathedral, she publicly renounced her actions and asked God and the King for forgiveness. The crowds stilled. As a tumbrel eventually arrived on Place de Grève, she received a mixed response. Some people had changed their minds about her guilt and elevated her to the lofty heights of a saint. Marie-Madeleine was executed by sword as she was gentle-born. Then her remains were tossed on a pyre lit in a corner of plaster grave and the ashes scattered into the wind over the Seine to avoid her turning into a martyr. I have visualised her final moments in my novel The Shadows of Versailles, which begins with the execution of the Marquise de Branvilliers in her own point of view. Torture could not make her reveal her secrets. But secrets she must have had. The Marquise smirked. Oh, but she knew of ladies of her own standing, and even higher in royal circles, seeking potions and cures from well-known midwives and alchemists. She'd seen them enter certain establishments in search of a solution. To snatch or keep a high-born lover, to rid themselves of the competition, or, as in her case, inconvenient family members or to advance into the higher echelons of King Louis XIV's magnificent court at the newly built Palace of Versailles. Or the scandal if I'd revealed everything. It could be true, could it not? The Marquise may have taken many secrets to her grave. After her execution, the case was closed, but still there was little actual knowledge about how well the underworld of fortune tellers, midwives, alchemists and poisoners was intertwined with each other and with the upper classes, including certain persons at the lavish court at Versailles. Up until then it had been deemed to be something that happened in ordinary circles, but the case of the Marquise de Branvilliers showed that it could really be anyone. Suspicions increased and soon other arrests followed. But those are for another time. So, what did you make of La Pranvillier, the infamous Marquise? Do you think she truly repented her actions in the end? Or was it merely a cynical ploy to gather sympathy and perhaps to avoid the death sentence? Please feel free to reply to my podcast post on social media with your thoughts. As a note of reference, I quoted excerpts from the letters by Madame de Sévigné, a lady who was in frequent written contact with her daughter, Madame de Grignon. Her letters, full of rumours, gossip and a good few facts about life in Paris and at Versailles, are a treasure trove if you wish to discover more about the court, the women and the wars of King Louis XIV. My quote from The Shadows of Versailles is subject to copyright. Finally, next week we'll be looking at a woman who was arrested quite early on, 
who appealed to Louvois, the Secretary of State for War, claiming she had important knowledge to share. In fact, she remained locked up for several years. But were her revelations credible? Or did she just make them up to avoid her ultimate fate, certain death? Find out next Friday. I'm looking forward to welcoming you back then to a new episode from The Affairs of the Poisons. Thank you for listening and take care.